Praise God. Praise God. What an amazing thing we're a part of. Can you say amen? What we do works everywhere in the world because what we do is God's word. It's the gospel. There's, there's no culture, there's no island, there's no continent that the power of this gospel cannot impact and I just feel such a destiny in this place. It's a privilege and I really appreciate the invitation. Uh, Nigel and Carol Brown, dear friends, great servants of God given a large part of their lives to this area. Can you say amen? Let's thank God for that, amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 26. I want to look at a principle that works everywhere in the world. This is a principle of the kingdom. This is a, a dynamic, and this is our portion, and this is a miracle grace that every believer, every family, every church, every city, every nation has a right to. Deuteronomy 26. I mean, I was uh, reminded of a woman in the United States, Linda Stafford. She is a prolific garage sailor. I don't know if you could call them garage sales, rubbish sales, <laughs> rummage sales, uh, flea markets. Do, do you have that version of that here? Yard sales. One man's junk is another person's junk, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, you just kind of trade it off. It's like a hobby, it's like a cult for some people. So she had been going to these for 30 years. And she always got teased from her family. And now the tables turned because Linda found more than $3,000 in the bottom of a high back chair she bought at a garage sale. She paid $2 for it. She made the discovery one or two years after buying the chair one of her daughters heard something rattle in the chair and they removed the bottom. And inside was a compartment with two paper packets, one that had $10 in coins and the other had over $3,000 in U.S. currency. Stafford remembers what she paid for the chair, but she couldn't remember where she bought it. Imagine that. <laughs> and when asked how she would spend the money, she said, who knows? I might spend it all at garage sales. <laughs> now, realistically, most people are not going to prosper this way. But the Word of God gives us a much easier path. And I want to look at a, a universal principle that will work anywhere in the world. And I, I've called this sermon Prosperity Made Simple. And I want to look at three principles outlined for the believer from this simple portion of Scripture. Let's read Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 1 through 5. And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you possess it and dwell in it, you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground which you shall bring from your land that the Lord God is giving you, and put it in a basket. And go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall go to one who is the priest in those days and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore our fathers to give us. 
Then the priest shall take of the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, my father was a Syrian about to perish. And he went down to Egypt and dwelt there few in number. And there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. Prosperity made simple. Three steps. First, he says, you shall bring. One of the hindrances to prosperity is the wrong view of wealth. And one of the most profound decisions that you have to make about wealth is whether you view yourself as an owner or a steward. And there's lots of ways you can categorize the human race, but I want to tell you, this is one. Every, everybody in this room views wealth and prosperity either as an owner or a steward. And that alone is going to divide you from or to the blessing of Almighty God. Prosperity made simple. First is the understanding that we are not owners. We are stewards. And again, I just feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to pause. You either believe that or you don't. And this is something you must reconcile with God's word. In balance, you know, the societal viewpoint of private property and rights are essential. There was much of this even revealed in the Old Testament. But in the kingdom of God, this needs clarification. The Bible rem reminds the believer that if you rewind the tape far enough, you must realize everything belongs to God. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He retains title deed and he releases this to human beings to steward. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. Psalms 50 verse 10, for every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. Psalms 24.1 reminds us the earth is the Lord's and its fullness the world and those who dwell therein. And this is a powerful revelation to consider that God who created all things maintains title deed to all the minerals, all the precious metals and the precious gems and the livestock and the souls of mankind. He is the owner. And in our text, God is reminding people of this truth. Verse one, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and you possess it and you dwell in it. So what's happening here is the ungodly nations were to be dispossessed. God says, I am dispossessing these people, this, these people groups that are inhabiting this real estate. I am going to dispossess them not because you are so righteous, but because they are so wicked. And their sin and the curse and the filth of their, uh, of their idolatry and their perversion is making the earth wretch. And, and I am going to do something about it. And what I'm going to do in part is I'm going to give it to you. And he warns them, when you come into this wealth and you come into this possession and I allow you to steward this, I warn you, do not forget. 
that it is me that brought you here. Deuteronomy 8.18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Why? That he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And God is saying, you need to understand that I am still the owner. God recognizes that there is a great danger in fallen mankind to have prosperity without accountability. And even believers can destroy themselves. And for our own benefit, he even set in place in the Old Testament law, verse 2, that you shall take some of the first of the produce of the ground which you shall bring from the land that the Lord God has given you and put it in a basket and go to the place the Lord your God chooses, he says, you shall bring. So this is the, 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 the ancient concept of the first fruits. This is, became known as the tithe or the tenth. And on top of that, then, the offering. A tenth is the Lord's and offerings besides. This is, a, this is, a, this is an ancient principle. And this is not Mosaic Levitical law. This is a law in creation. I would say that this is more like the law of gravity. Doesn't matter whether you believe in gravity or not. You walk off the roof of this building, you could say, I don't believe in gravity. I don't believe in gravity. I think it's Old Testament law. It's going to hurt you. This, 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 is, this is creation. See, this, is, this is a fundamental, powerful principle of creation itself. And it means that whenever a believer increases before he does anything else with it, he is to take 10% of the increase, bring it to the house of God, offer it up to the Lord, and offerings as well, and, and the, the measures two different things. The tithe is set. You don't give your tithe, you pay your tithe because God set that amount. And the offering is kind of an open-ended thing. It's called a free will offering. It's a measure of how much you value. Or it's a measure of how much you will obey the voice of the Lord because he sets the tithe. The offering is different, but it measures a, a, a number of things in the human heart that are very profound and very important to God. In verse 4, he says, Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. If you go down to verse 14... He says, I, and you are going to say, I have not eaten any of it when morning, nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use, nor have given any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, my God, and have done according to all that you have commanded. So we're talking here about a check and a balance. We're talking about something very necessary to God trusting us. And because he loves us, he puts these guardrails in place and there's to be restraint. There's to be a, a, a hallowing of this is holy. This is something you do, you do not cross this line. You do not lightly touch this. And, and the Bible says that this is, this is part of our prosperity. This is fundamental. This is foundational. 
to prospering. It's a sign that we recognize that God is the owner of all, that he has given us everything we have, and he is the source of all future increase that he seeks to give us. And God pronounces a blessing or a curse on people who obey or ignore this. And then he says, prove me. In other words, he gives us permission to put him to the test. And in my reading of the Bible, I only find two things where God allows us to prove him. One is salvation. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And the other is in wealth. Prove me. Put me to the test. Malachi 3, 10 through 12. Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour you out such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed and you will be a delightful land. You either believe that or you don't. And when you take this at face value, all the excuses, all the nonsense, you know, I can't afford it, I, you know, that's ridiculous. You can't afford not to do this. Because God's paying attention to this. And God is, is the wealthiest being in the universe. And he's looking for people that he can trust with his wealth. And if you're going to prosper, that means we, we, we order our finances in context of this reality. We live below our means we set boundaries on our indulgence and our spending, we live as stewards. And the first step, prosperity made simple, is you shall bring. Secondly, he says, you shall say. Another hindrance to prosperity is the overconfidence in our own ability. Human beings are embarrassingly overconfident. <laughs> we, we, over, we overestimate who we are and what we're able to do. They did a survey of university students. They surveyed 800,000 university students, and they asked each student to rank where they thought they were on the intellectual scale, comparative to the group, and the results are amusing. The number of those who consider themselves below average Zero. <laughs> How many of you know that's not even possible? The number of those who consider themselves in the top 1%, 8,000. I'm sorry, 80,000. <laughs> that's 10%. It's impossible. 10% can't be in the top 1%. Confidence is a positive trait, but the problem with overconfident people is they don't see their need for God. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24, the Lord says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight. So there's no sin in realizing that some people have brighter bulbs than others. 
It's, there's no sin in realizing that some people are stronger than others. There's no, uh, there's no sin in realizing that some people have more wealth than others. But God says, if you're wise, you don't glory in these things. If you want a glory, glory that you know God and that he is righteous and he, is, he judges. And he says, I delight in people that put their confidence in me. Interesting statement, verse five. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, my father was a Syrian about to perish. And that's puzzled historians. Like, why, why would these people say that? And I think the best explanation is that this is a reference to Jacob's time in Syria with his uncle Laban. He fled for his life there. Eventually, the 12 sons and families went to Egypt to be sustained during famine. And then they ended up being slaves. And it's referring to that. My father was a Syrian about to perish, and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there few in number, and he became a great nation, mighty and populous. Verse 6, but the Egyptians mistreated us and afflicted us and laid hard bondage on us. This is a lesson in perspective. We need to have readily available on the desktop of our mind where God has brought us from. Because there's something about wealth. There's something about prosperity. Isaiah 51, 2, look to Abraham your father and Sarah who bore you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. See, for most of the people in this room, this may not be true for everybody, but most people, before they got saved, their lives were a train wreck. And if not a train wreck, on its way to a train wreck. And as you serve God, then God begins to bless. God begins to enlarge. God begins to increase. And this is what he wants to do. Other people, maybe before they got saved, they were not at rock bottom. Maybe they were doing rather well in the measure of the world, but in reality, you were still on your way to hell. And regardless of where you were on this measure, this metric, all of us can say with Job, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. And the principle here is that this defines the offering not as a burden to bear, this is not a tax to despise. This is a celebration of the mercy and the goodness and liberality of God Almighty in our lives. You know, the older we get as a fellowship, the more and more people uh, that are walking around um, saved and full of the Holy Ghost but, but have not had every line of the cross and switchblade branded into their brains. It's just kind of, it's kind of weird, you know, because you can date people by what movie they saw so many times that it runs on loop in their head, right? You got Crossing the Switchblade, you got Fury to Freedom. What's after that? Lay it down, right? If you remember that. But 
Sometimes I, I can't help but remember when old Nikki Cruz was drafted at the, um, the rally to take the offering. I mean, remember that? He had a milk carton. He's walking up down the aisle, you know, and he's, he, and the guy sticks like, you know, some chump change in there, shakes it a little bit, you know. And there's people, they view the ushers as like, the, you know, the IRS agents of the church. I don't know what they're on in the UK, but that's in the United States, you know? And, and what, what this is designed to do is you shall bring, but this isn't to be a begrudging, this isn't, you know, you know a, a, a church tax or a temple tax. This is a rejoicing, and you will say, you know, I was about to die and go to hell. I was on my way to a devil's hell on a greased rail, man. I was cursed, and I was cursing my life even more, and God did a miracle. It's to be a, grat- a, 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 it's to be a celebration. You know, when, when, I, when I'm able to bring my tithe or my pledge or my offering, I'm telling you, I thank God for that. It's like, Wow. Look what God has done. Look what God has placed into our hands. Look at the day and age in which we live. Look at the opportunities we have. Left to ourselves, friend, I want to tell you something. Like the children of Israel who he freed from the slavery of sin, the impending judgment of God and gave us freedom and liberty and blessed us with great substance. Look at verse seven through 10. Then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers and looked, and the Lord heard our voice and looked upon our affliction and our labor and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terror, and with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and has given us this land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, I have bought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me, and you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. You shall bring, you shall say. And the third step, very simple, you shall rejoice. Real faith settles the issue. We are always better off obeying God's word. Hebrews 11, verse six, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Verse 11. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given you and your house and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. God does not begrudge his people prosperity. I heard a man say early in my um, uh, ministry at a conference, God is looking for men that he can trust with lots of money because it takes a lot of money to do this. And God has the wealth, but he needs men and women that understand the simplicity and the power of prosperity. 
He wants us to acknowledge him as the source. He want, wants us to maintain a grateful heart toward him. It's amazing the generation in which we live. It's amazing the day in which we live. I want you to think about something. You know, you think, oh, well, you know, I just live in a flat, you know, and I drive a, you know, broken down car and, you know, and I, you know, I only have 14 pairs of shoes and, I want you to think about something. Think about Solomon. Think about one of the wealthiest pharaoh. Think about most of the kings in human history up to, you know, the last couple hundred years. If somehow in their day, with the best of their housing, the best of their transportation, and the best of their, their, their amenities could somehow all of a sudden see into the future and see the house you live in. And you walk in and you hit a button, click, and the lights come on. And you walk over to the little dial on the wall and if you've paid your bill, heat, <laughs> cooling. And then you go into the bathroom or the restroom or the toilet, whatever country you're from and however you say it and see indoor plumbing. You, you do this in cold water. You do this hot water. I'm old enough to remember when they invented microwaves, man. I'm serious. I had to stand there as a kid when my neighbor, his father got a microwave. We had to stand there for like 15 minutes. He's going, you, you're not gonna believe what this thing can do. <laughs> Seriously. Take a stale donut, put it in there. It's just like, no, it's like, no, it ain't. But anyway, it's pretty cool. Ovens, right? Your refrigerator, the food that's available at the shop, your pantry, the car you drive. Are you kidding me? You get in. I mean, Solomon, Pharaoh, the roads. And if that isn't enough, how about the gizmos? How about... How about your watch? How about your phone? How about talking to people? I've, I've been talking to, to, to people I love on the other side of the world this week. Texting. Your computer. Your GPS. I dare say, if Solomon or the wealthiest pharaoh of history could see your life, they would weep for their poverty. Prosperity made simple before God who does not begrudge us any of these things that you shall bring, you shall say, and you shall rejoice. James says, do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights who never changes. And for all this, he doesn't even begrudge us more. Interesting, when you study money and you read books, some of the secular authors that counsel people in financial planning, many of them clearly not saved, 
they begin to state as fact that it is statistically observable that those who give money away become wealthier. How many of you ever read these people? And they're like, well, you know, they're trying to figure this out, you know, like what kind of, you know, physics dynamic in the molecular structure of the rotating earth. You know, they're trying to work it out because mathematically it doesn't work out. And so they become very philosophical about it, you know. Uh, the, the, the issue is not whether it's so. Their struggle is why. Why is this so? I mean, I, I've read them. They struggle. Well, maybe there's a part of our evolutionary brain that activates and releases hormones. And then when you, you emulate success, you know, it triggers a biological response to opportunity, blah, blah, blah. Maybe it's just that God's word is true. Maybe. Maybe God gets involved. Not maybe, definitely. This is in the fabric of creation. The focus then becomes on why he does this, that my covenant will be established. In our obedience, the Bible says things like, there will be resources in my house to establish my covenant. I am blessing you to bless the nations. Fruit to your account. I will give you nations as your inheritance. And if that isn't enough, we will be rewarded in heaven. A reward in heaven for participating in God's miraculous plan of economy on this side of eternity. Are you kidding me? What a miracle. Tonight, there's gonna be some announcements tonight. We're gonna be given another opportunity to invest. And people are freaking out about what do you invest in? Cryptocurrency, gold. I'm going to tell you something. You, you, when you are vested in the kingdom of God and you are vested in the souls of men and women and you, are you kidding? These testimonies, these people, this is amazing. Human beings touched by the power of God because you and I say, God, I was a Syrian ready to perish. I was a, I was a slug. It was a malcontent rebel ready to die and go to the deepest corner of hell. And you saved me. And you enabled me. You rewired some things and you helped me with a job. And I got married and had some kids and had a powerful church and was able to bring a pledge, was able to give to world evangelism and in the meantime live the highest level of life in the history of mankind and plant churches and see people come back and you're gonna reward me for that? I'm gonna tell you something of all the things that you can invest in tonight is the best. I wanna counsel you. You need to be thoroughly vested in world evangelism because lives are changed. I wanna close with a story. 
Hello, Pastor Payne. I've been meaning to tell you about this tremendous amount of account of God moving in behalf of one of our congregation. In 1981, a man named Liam refused to pay a $2,000 tax bill. He then backslid for many years, and during that time, it had grown to $45,000. Liam recommitted his life to Christ seven years ago and has been faithfully tithing and giving. But this huge burden was always hanging over him. His accountant told him after many failed attempts to negotiate with the tax department that his only option was to declare bankruptcy. I advised him that he needed to trust God and continue to tithe and give and pay off what he could. I counseled Liam that he, we would agree in prayer to, for God to help him. Liam then received a telephone call from a woman in the tax office asking him what he was doing about his tax burden. And Liam replied that he was doing the best he could pay it off, but it was impossible uh, for him to, to get his head around this amount. She asked him to send a list of the months incoming and outgoings for her to review. And upon receiving it, she called him back and said, what is this tithe thing? Liam gave his testimony and told her that since he'd become a Christian seven years ago, he believed it was his duty to give 10% of his income and offerings beside. She then told him that he should receive a phone call soon advising him of the department's decision. A few days later, the SWAT team rolled up and arrested him. No, that's not what happened. I just want to see if you're paying attention. Just checking. A few days later, he received the call. Their decision was to grant full release of the debt of $45,038.04. That his debt to the tax office was now zero. Liam's accountant told him that in all his years of business, he has never seen or heard of the tax office making such a decision and this is a genuine miracle. Prosperity made simple. You shall bring, you shall say, and you shall rejoice. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed. Powerful, powerful.